On today's show, we're asking a, a, a pretty important question. Who's a better playoff matchup for the Cavs? The New York Knicks or the Brooklyn Nets? That's all coming up today on Locked on Cavs for Tuesday, March 21st. For Locked on Cavs, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast. The music you heard on the way in is from our friends at Astro Radio. This episode is produced by Jake Stevens. I'm Chris Manning. That's Evan Damerel. We are the Lockdown Cast Podcast. All right, segment one today. Who's a better playoff opponent, the, the Knicks or the Nets? Segment two, we're going to look ahead to Cavs-Nets and what's awaiting Cleveland in Brooklyn. And segment three. Me. They're awaiting re- me. Okay. And then segment three, Ricky Rubio looking good of late. Evan, how are you? Are you um, just good. so you know? I'm I'm glad Ricky Rubio went from looking good, looking alive to looking good. So that's good. Yeah, I mean he's always looked good, even if he got weakened at Bernie's. That hair is never not going to look much better than he's any, handsome. The, the, he's the hair handsome. I've All right, so let's go into who the Cavs would rather see in the playoffs. Right now, the the this is from the Basketball Reference Playoff Probabilities Report. Uh, Cleveland is uh, project could have as many as 54 wins, obviously but is very likely to be the four seed. They gave Cleveland an 85.2% chance of being the four seed, just a 4.4% chance of getting up to three, 9.8 of slipping down to five. The New York Knicks are the most likely five seed in the East. They're at 78.1% chance of being the five seed. The Brooklyn Nets, by comparison, have an 11.2%, and the Miami Heat have a less than 1% chance of being the five seed. So this very much feels down to the Knicks or the Nets for the for Cleveland in that playoff seed, but the Knicks being the overwhelming favorite. So I'll turn it over to you first. Who do you think is the better playoff opponent for the Cleveland Cavaliers to face, the Knicks or the Nets? I want to say it's the Brooklyn Nets, I which is weird to say just because the Nets on paper have an overwhelming amount of wing depth um, just to kind of hit those pressure points of Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. Especially like Royce O'Neal, uh, Mikhail Bridges. Um, they have Cam Johnson there as well. Like they have a lot of dudes that just like can do a lot of impactful things that make Cleveland uncomfortable, and especially like space out Mobley and Allen too if they want to get real freaky with it. But when you just look at how the Knicks operate as a team, um, Jalen Brunson has been the other than the Donovan Mitchell acquisition for Cleveland the best offseason move of a team made heading into the season. I'd say. Um, mm-hmm. Julius Randle is just doing crazy Julius Randle things like people may not like him as a player maybe like ugly at times but like he's shouldering the load more often than not for New York and like Thibodeau is uh very good at tactically planning things out defensively and does have a lot of playoff experience especially at this time with the Chicago Bulls and ran into LeBron James quite a bit in the process but regardless like I I think just the Nets have a little bit more leeway with the Cavs against the Cavs versus New York has guys that have experience across the board and also just like interesting enough players that could like pressure the Cavs and like RJ Barrett's a huge X factor for New York as well. Like RJ Barrett's pretty good offensively. Like that's a pretty big difference maker, but like defensively he's a bit of a grinder and can like really hit Garland or Mitchell, the right pressure points. And I believe Cleveland is one and two against New York this year up to this point. So 
it's also just not a team that Cavs do well against either. We'll see how the Brooklyn foray goes and the Cavs play them two nights this week. But for now, like if the Cavs beat up the Nets considerably, like, yeah, that's who you want to play probably. And I just think the Knicks just have some interesting pressure points that would make things a little bit tough for the Cavs. I think the Knicks, the Knicks are definitely, I think, the better team. So yeah. I, I think that factors into this. Like Brooklyn, Brooklyn is not like obviously you, just, you you get rid of Kevin Durant, you get rid of Kyrie Irving, like for whatever reasons. Like that's you're not you're not going to be you're not going to be as good. that's just how this works. And and I think you're mm-hmm. right to shout out like the Knicks wing depth because like I honestly think I lean the Knicks in part because like I I think the Knicks are better and I still lean the Knicks. So you think the Cavs would rather face the Knicks in the first round? If I were them, I would. I think the Knicks would be like the matchup I would want. Um, Maybe it is the wing depth thing because the Nets have the personnel to put that pressure on Cleveland and make them more uncomfortable. It's just I think the Knicks are just, like you said, the better team. And I'm just looking from the optics of I'm not dismissing like, oh, who's bad or who isn't. But if you had to pick, like you probably want to face a team that's a little bit easier on you um, in terms of just like the gap of talent between the two. So like, this is where my brain went. They don't have the wing. To, I know you shout out that Barrett and like they have Quentin Grimes and they have Emmanuel quickly. Who's become like a, a good defender and like a very good player. Like, he's I don't think great. I, I do not think they have the wing defender to throw at Mitchell in the way that the Nets do. Like there's no Mikhail Bridges waiting for uh, you. They, they do they have don't, Josh no. Hart. I'm sorry. Josh Hart is a good player who the Cavs really like. He is not on the Mikhail Bridges level or oh, the Dorian Finney-Smith level. But like, but like R.J. Barrett is really good defensively too. Like you could throw I, that. He's at. he's he's not really. He's fine. He's good. He's not really good. He Mikhail Bridges I think, I is think, really good. I, oh, Mikhail Bridges is phenomenal. Like there's Dorian huge... Dorian Finney-Smith is really good. I, I don't forget, think I forgot the Nets had DFS too. Yeah, so that changes they have Roy, things too. And, yeah, and they and have Royce O'Neal. Like, they have a lot of dudes that can just, you can throw it, oops, excuse me, Mitchell and Garland continuously and just make their life very frustrating in the best of seven. Yeah, they have, like, Royce O'Neal is, like, their third best perimeter defender, and he's more on the Josh Hart level. Josh Hart's going to grind. He's going to make things, like, he's strong. He's a good player. Like, he's a he's a guy that contributes to winning. I don't think they have the wing defender to throw at Mitchell. I don't think they have the really the pure point of attack guy to really, like, throw at Garland. Like, they have some good defensive guards, but not guys in the way that I think Brooklyn might that could really like make the Cavs life significantly harder. I think Mobley is also up for defending Randall. I really like, I think you look at what he just did against Embiid. You look at the way he handles size better. You look at what, what he can do against Randall. I think he's up for that. And like Randall would be the, would be the New York X factor in that series to me, because when the Knicks have beat the Cavs this year, Randall has been hot from three. He just absolutely has gotten hot from three. And that is a very mm-hmm. interesting. And I, I think you can handle that in a seven game series. The other part of it, is much Jalen Brunson has his foot injury, and we will see how he looks when we get to the playoffs. But it kept him out for a while, and we have to see if it's fully going to be healthy. I also think Okoro on Brunson is something that I would feel good about if I am Cleveland. I know you have to get him the minutes to to make that a real thing. I think Lavert and Rubio could be options at times as well. I also think Mitchell just defended James Harden for part of the Philly game. I don't think you're getting him like ruined by Brunson like you did last year. And which led to the the Utah because it was like the signal that 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 was over. Like I don't think that's happening again. If you get in this series, I just I I look at the, maybe this is irrational, maybe this is wrong. I just look at because the Knicks I think are just the better team right now in this moment. I just look at what the Knicks are and what they're good at, and I just 
it doesn't seem too like no i'm not like bing bong (laughs) bing bong but like i think i just don't see like the things that they do and even do well really really like making the Cavs uncomfortable the way some of the stuff the Nets do can make the Cavs uncomfortable. I might be wrong about this. I and I, part of me, Evan, also, I want to see the Knicks series. And it's like we're going to get. But Donovan Mitchell having to play the Knicks in the first play in his first playoff series as a Cleveland Cavalier is like it that's catnip for us. That is like delicious. Oh, that's the off court optics for the Cavs playing the Knicks in the first round is huge because that's Donovan Mitchell said like everyone expected himself included that he'd be a part of the Knicks this year. And it, it's very clear the way New York like moved and pivoted this off season. Like if they had Donovan Mitchell on this roster, I think the Knicks would be a pretty legitimate force in the Eastern conference this year, but they are missing that dude that can push them over the edge and be the main guy. But like Brunson's been awesome for them, but like the foot injury is a fair point. And I was looking at their schedules. You were talking like New York plays the Timberwolves on Monday and then they play the heat on Wednesday. And that's kind of nestled in between Cleveland playing the nets twice in that stretch as well. So let's say New York wins both of those games. It's probably more realistic. The Knicks are the playoff opponent, or let's say New York wins both and Brooklyn wins, or New York loses both and Brooklyn wins both. Like it might be New York or sorry, Brooklyn's the playoff opponent. Like there's a lot of ways this could kind of carry out. And I think probably by the end of the week, we'll have a fairly clear understanding of who Cleveland will be either playing or hosting in the first round of the playoffs. Evan, true or false Cavs would be a favorite in both of these series. True. I agree. The, the Cavs just so we talk about the next the Knicks being more talented than the Nets. There's a not a considerable gap, I'd say, depending on how you want to break it down. But there's quite the gap and just in terms of just pure raw star talent that the Cavs have compared to either of those teams. Just from Mobley, Garland, Mitchell alone. And then there's Allen, too. And then like you have that the, there's a fair question about the depth from the Cavs side of things. But like they have like that core four that really just puts them on a different echelon than the, those two teams we've been debating for the last 11-ish minutes. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Look, Evan, the NCAA tournament is heating up, and now is the perfect time to download the FanDuel app, America's mm-hmm. number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That is bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel sportsbook app. It is safe, secure, and super easy to use. They didn't come out on everything from the money line to point scores and threes drains. I mean, you have you have a ton of great college basketball bets right now. I know, like, I'm sure some people got great value. Maybe someone out there did, you know, did throw some money on FDU or, or Princeton. In terms of NBA bets, I still love those parlay builders. Where you can pick 20 plus point scores. Uh, I might be, you know, honestly, I, Evan, you look at the title race right now. I might be, or the MVP race. I, I might be like looking at Embiid or Jokic or Embiid or Giannis, excuse me, at like a little bit of plus money right now to, to, be, to beat I, out Jokic. I, if you had some Skrilla burning a hole in your pocket, maybe throw it Giannis Adenokounmpo's way. He's <laughs> having a very good end of the season. Yeah, I'm not feeling as good about my, uh, even at plus 800, my, my Nuggets title future is not feeling great right now. Not great. It's okay. He's, that's 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 the uh, that's the nature of gambling. You swing. Sometimes you hit. Sometimes you miss. So yeah. Also, just like what's going on there. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no sweat first bet. Do one thousand dollars in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com backslash locked on. That is FanDuel.com backslash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official betting partner of the NBA. 
All right, we're on to Brooklyn now. Cavs-Nets, two-game series that begins Tuesday night in Brooklyn. Evan, since February 9th, the Cavs, the Nets are 24th in net rating, 27th in offense, 15th in defense. You know, I don't think this is as bad of a team or as, like, struggling as a team as the Wizards, just, you know, even with, with those what those numbers say. I just like a lot of the personnel better. But I still think this is a game that the Cavs should be favored in. I would expect them to be in. I think this is a two-game stretch as you're trying to hit 50 wins, as you're trying to maximize your playoff seeding lock-in, that 4C, give yourself any chance possible of maybe getting to three, as unlikely as that is. I, I think this is just a stretch you really like to have if you're Cleveland. That's where to start here. Yeah, and like I said in the first segment of the show, it, probably by the end of the week, depending on how things go for Cleveland, we'll include Brooklyn in this because that's who they're facing, and then New York as well. We'll have a pretty clear understanding of how the playoffs may shake out for the Cavs and also the Knicks and the Nets as well. But like you said, like folks are a little more down on this Nets team. I can understand why, maybe because they're shifting their focus from the post-KD era to becoming the fun, lovable Nets they were when they had Jared Allen and Karis LeVert on the roster. But regardless, like this is a team that still can't be underestimated. Like They have a lot of dudes that they can throw Cleveland's way that could make life really uncomfortable for them both Tuesday and Thursday because we talked about like Royce O'Neal is the second or third best wing defender on this team, and he's really freaking good as a wing defender because they have Dorian Finney-Smith and Mikhail Bridges as well, who... In Mikhail Bridges' case, is like he's a star. He's a star, and he the, the Nets. I don't know if he's the guy per se, but like the Nets have definitely found a dude. Like, yeah, we have the co-star to our future star that we add to this team at some point. Yeah, Bridges is freaking awesome. Like Cam Johnson is awesome. Like they have a lot of guys that like I like. They like Utuantanabe is someone that like I would be looking if I'm the Cavs as like a, a free agent, like kind of part of your mid level, looking at things in the summer based on how he shot it this year and the size he offers. Um, I, I, so let's start with, I think that, well, let's start with Jared Allen because sure Chris, we mentioned this on Monday show, but Chris Fudocleave.com had it that Jared Allen, um, there's, there's some hope that he could play in one of those two games. Don't know which one. Don't know if it'll be Tuesday, uh, per his story, uh, he on has quote seen multiple specialists who have ruled out any structural damage, even though sources say his vision is a bit blurry End quote, uh, before the game Friday, JB Bickerstaff said that he is quote progressing well. And that everything is structurally okay. Um, you just you're just trying to monitor and get him back to the court to be safe. Like getting Allen back, Evan, I think would be a big deal. I'm curious to just see what he what his vision is actually like when he plays, because playing basketball with blurry vision seems hard and maybe yeah. not healthy. And Darius Garland told me about it early in the year. Like for the longest time, he couldn't see out of the right. Allen spoke in the right eye, correct? Uh yes. So Garland said it's like it's essentially looking like this. So folks, if you're Listening to this, if you're not, as long as you're not driving, put your hand over your right eye and try and like look. It's hard to have like the half of your vision realistically shut out, especially your peripheral. And when you're a playmaker like that, or if you're in, in Garland's case, or if you're in Allen's case, you need clear vision clearly to defend, rebound, do everything in between properly. So I'm curious to see how it goes. I'm curious to see like, does he wear a um, goggles does he wear a mask or something does he do something just to keep protecting his vision and or do the Cavs handle this with kid gloves like let's say he plays a handful of games so like they kind of just keep him on the back burner so that he can be 100 100% physically when the playoffs do roll around uh mid-April yeah the other thing is I want to see how they defend Mikel Bridges um and Ooh. that's part because I wonder if Lamar Stevens gets that assignment. Um, I just think because... he would. Because, I mean, or... 
you could do some similar stuff or some copycat stuff you do with the wizards that you did on the net you could do on the nets as well like you could put mobley on nick clax included as just like a five to five matchup but let mobley be more of a roamer and then he put stevens on like mikhail bridges and you try to i don't know like the nets have like a lot of dudes that are like volatile for their position but also like are good defensive grinders that i think can handle the assignment he, I, I wonder if that's just where he go because Okoro is not going to be someone that, you know, you can like he's. I think he's best defending like point of attack guys and wings that aren't as like long and stuff. But I think he can do it just based on the strength, and you will maybe see him do it to some extent. I just think it's like maybe that's if, if particularly if you stick with the starting lineup, pre Allen coming back. I think that gets you in a spot where that that would make some sense, and then you can put Okoro, you know, somewhere else, and you know, one of your, I mean, the guards are gonna have to defend up a little bit anyway in terms of size, and in that in itself, I just think how the Cavs defend in this game in itself will just be interesting because like the size component is real, and then you also get Evan Mobley defending Nick Claxton if he's gonna play the five. Claxton, yeah, has had a great year. He's really strong. Yeah. He's physical, plays hard as heck. When these two teams played earlier in the year, he gave Jared Allen the business at times. Like, he literally just out physical Jared Allen, dunked at him, got rebounds and stuff. He is going to put pressure on Mobley as a rim protector. And and I don't have, like, any doubts that Mobley is going to have, like, get, like, foul out or anything like that. That's not how, what happens with him. But how he looks, I think, will be, will be super interesting. I'm also interested to see how the Nets handle what Evan Mobley provides defensively because... Like you said, Mobley can make the adjustments internally, and so can the Cavs to make sure he avoids foul trouble. But sometimes, at least I've noticed with him playing the five, he can't pick up fouls early, like two or three in the first or in second quarter. And then, like, you have that, like, little bit of chaos and uncertainty of, like, oh, will we have Evan for the remainder of the game? And thankfully, the Cavs figured out a way to make it work for their sake. But Nick Claxton, like you said, is a dude who gave Jared Allen the business the last time the Nets have played the Cavs. And, like, to your point, like Isaac Okoro will probably spend the better part of the starting the game defending Spencer Dinwiddie as the point of attack. And then like, what do you do with Mitchell and Garland? Like Mitchell plays well. Maybe you put him on um, Cam Johnson a little bit at times and maybe you hide, I guess, Garland on like Dorian Finney-Smith or you hide because I think you just throw Stevens at Mikhail Bridges in that aspect. But there's a lot of interesting foils because the more you break down this Nets roster, like it's still wild to me. I completely forgot Ben Simmons is still on this team, but um <laughs> Sort of. Like, He's sort of on the team. Sort of on the team. But, like, they have Seth Curry. They have Joe Harris. They have Royce O'Neal. They have Utah Watanabe, as you noted, coming off the bench. Um, Cam Thomas can go off if he has to, but, like, he's kind of been phased out of the rotation entirely by Jacques Vaughn. But, like, the Nets just have a lot of dudes that find ways to make the Cavs really uncomfortable, especially, like, that bench unit. And I think that's another thing I'll be kind of watching, too, is, like, can Cleveland's bench unit put something together so that they're not like leaning on their starters so heavily for both of these games, just because the Nets have a lot of shooting across the board with just their nine, 10 man rotation. If they want to go that deep last, the, their most caught their starting lineup. I would expect to see barring like injuries or anything is Dinwiddie bridges, Dorian Finney, Smith, Cam Johnson, Nick Claxton. So that would mean, mm-hmm. let's say Mo- that would be Mobley on Claxton I think you probably have to put Garland on Dinwiddie or or Mitchell on Dinwiddie. I think one of Okoro or Stevens guards Cam Johnson, the other guards Bridges, and then you're putting maybe Garland is on Finney Smith because you're not really going to like risk him posting up as much. But it, it's going to yeah. create you're going to have to deal with some funkiness and navigate it. That they uh they are uh the day we're recording this uh they play Denver, but that if they lose that game that'll be their third straight loss for whatever that is worth. All right, Evan, let's finish up the show talking about Ricky Rubio. 
because it really feels to me like Ricky Rubio is starting to feel normal again. Yeah, I you see a little bit of the bump. I think he's still not quite 100 percent physically. I think there's still some pretty clear rust. I think that's just natural to natural to be expected with a guy coming back from ACL tear like that. But you're seeing a little bit of the juice, a little bit of the uh, the flair he brought to the cast bench units. And now I'm just kind of waiting for him to f- gel with Karis LeVert a little bit more just so those two can form of like. A bit of that punch that you saw with like Rubio and Garland lineups last year, but in like a different vein. Like Rubio Sexton lineups were effective at times too last year. And there's ways you can go about this, but like, yeah, Rubio looks like himself and he's playing a pretty healthy line share of minutes now that he's kind of fully back in the rotation. I, I think for me this bodes well um for a couple of different reasons. Number one, if you can get Rubio back and he's gonna be right. And you see him hit these little one-legged runners. He's going for the up-and-under layups. He's driving to the basket at all, where at times once he came back, he wasn't really driving to the basket. Yeah. And just the way he moves, it looks better. That bodes well for you getting good Ricky, minute, Ricky Rubio minutes right now when I think there's a need for them. I also just think it, it would bode for how you feel about the Cavs' depth. Mm-hmm. Levert is playing great right now. I think, I, I think probably the best stretch of his season. Rubio is getting back to normal. Stevens has played really well of late. And we'll see how all of this looks in the playoffs. We will see what this turns into. We will see just like who holds up in that environment and who JB Bickerstaff ultimately trusts. Like, does he do you know do how much do we see Jetty Osmond? Does Dean Wade get a, re- a chance at reclamation? Yeah. Like, does Stevens have a game where he's just it's not cutting it and he needs to to sit on the bench or something? Like, what what does that all look like? But if Rubio is going to look more like himself and be a playmaker and do all the stuff that makes him special. And, 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 is, and it's more than just like, hey, it's the Ricky Rubio effect that, that has been talked about. And, and the players seem to believe in and the coaching staff seems to believe in. That, to me, just bodes well for what the playoff depth is going to look like and what the playoff depth is, is going to be as far as how much you can trust it in a, in a seven-game series. Yeah, and like you said... The confidence aspect is there. I think the boost and the, the the bump you get from Ricky Rubio is there. The defensive grind has it's been a work in progress, but I think you're seeing that come back together too, where he just it's hard to quantify other than as you would say, he plays bigger than his actual physical measurements measure out and just how he performs. So I think there's a lot of encouraging signs. And like you said, now it's just helping him continue to build that rhythm, repetition, and confidence so that Come playoff time, you're able to get more of a bump from your bench unit and just find ways to utilize it. And I think that it's trending in the right direction. Like, I'm going to pull up his game-by-game stats just over the last few. Um, like, against Charlotte, he had 11-5-4. Against Charlotte, he had 11-3-1. Against the Wizards, he had 8-5-3. Like, he was able to play meaningful, impactful basketball for the Cavs. And it's not like he's playing 30, 35 minutes a night, but he's giving you exactly what you need from like a backup point guard to spell either Darius Garland or Donovan Mitchell and probably unlocking the other one just because they're going to be the primary ball handler in those sets with Rubio just kind of being the guy who sets the rest of the chess pieces in motion to make sure the offense flows properly. The weirdest thing is how him and Levert have sort of worked on the aggregate. So... The Cavs are plus eight point. Great, but the numbers it's don't getting the, better. It's not good offensively. The defense has, on aggregate, been good. They're giving up 106.1 points per 100 uh, with those two guys on the floor. That's good. That's very, very good. The offense mm-hmm. is where you have a problem. It's at on average, 105.7 per 100 possessions. That is a very, very, very like seven, like 
It's like nine points below league average offensively per 100 possessions. That's not going to cut it. Now, there's some. it's only 560 possessions. The most common lineup with those guys together is played 40 possessions together. That's Rubio, Mitchell, Levert, Wade, Mobley. That lineup is minus 13 per 100. That's really, really bad. And that's, that's like, the lineup that kind of makes the most sense because you're like, ah, yeah, some right. shooting in there. Like, that's the... That's the lineups the Cavs utilized a lot of early in the season with Mitchell being the primary guy. And you're like, oh, yeah, maybe they can unlock a little bit more with Rubio out there. But I wonder if part of that is Dean Wade just completely falling off a cliff yeah, as like, of late. Yeah. And like, like you know, there's a version of these with Stevens. Both of those are, are positive in like 30, 30-ish possession samples. Like the, what is just so interesting about this is because Rubio still relatively has come back not that long ago. It's still we are still kind of, I think, learning how he fits in this version of the Cavs. I think that is. A thing for the coaching staff as well. You you obviously know what he does well. You know what he can provide. You kind of trust in what he can do. But it's like you're trying to figure out like how do you mix and match him. And it's interesting that like a lot of the lineups so far that they've gone to where they're sharing the floor together is he's Lavert's playing up at the three, um, which you know that's been hit or miss I think on the year. But it's like it's like Garland or it's been Garland more often than Mitchell. But it's Rubio or and Garland or Rubio and Mitchell with Lavert at the three. You have two lineups that have played just like over 20 possessions together where it's with Rubio, Lavert, and Osman as the three, and then Wade there. One of them is good. One of them is really bad. I, I tend to think that they will like probably both will figure it out. I think mm-hmm. it doesn't help that both of them do like to kind of... They both like to probe and have the ball in their hands a little bit and kind of like operate yeah. it. Like They're very different in that Lavert is like looking to score and, and is a little different. Rubio is a little bit more of trying to create something out of nothing uh, for someone else or just kind of manipulate defense to pull off an open shot for somebody else. But I, I, I wonder if there is just some uncomfortable overlap with those two. But the lineup date on them is just like, oh, the defense is really good. The offense is bad. But I kind of just like think the offense like probably, I don't know if it's going to be like. Fi- I, I think it'll figure itself out eventually. Just like, because to, what, to what degree? To what degree? That's the question. To what degree is a fair question just because functionally speaking Rubio there's a lot of overlap between Rubio and Levert in terms of just ball handling responsibilities and I am curious to see like the Cavs like to play faster but Rubio is very much a player who likes to dribble 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 and set up an offense entirely and make sure it's functioning and everything's in its right place because he is the uh Sir Topham hat of this team where he will make sure like the trains are leaving the station on time and making sure they're getting to their proper destinations so it's just figuring out that balance. And I, I think it's pretty clear Karis Levert's going to be here for a bit just because Kobe Altman made it pretty publicly known that he wants to be here. And I feel like Levert wants to as well. And his teammates and the coaching staff do too. But now you're like trying to figure out like, okay, does Rubio's role change next year if this doesn't work and we lean more on Karis? But like, we'll see if the offense figures itself out now that Rubio is just looking a little bit more like himself offensively and just physically rather. And maybe he learns to cede possessions to Karis LeVert to let him just kind of maybe take the air out of the ball a little bit, but just run the offense through him at times. And like they do like your turn, my turn a little bit until they maybe find a happy medium where they can both coexist on the floor together and just utilize all five players at once. True or false, LeVert's a more important player for the Cavs making a playoff run than Rubio for this season. I agree. True. Karis LeVert has single-handedly won a few games for the Cavs this year. Yeah, and he's just like at a higher physical level, I think. And that's just, I think that's in part because of where Rubio um, is coming from in terms of the injury recovery. But it also wouldn't shock me if like there's a game where like Lever really struggles defensively and 
Rubio kind of gets like thrown in there for like 35 minutes just because like he holds up defensively and you see something wonky. It wouldn't shock me. Wouldn't shock me. Rubio playing 35 minutes would shock me just because JB's on the record several times saying like there will never be a time he plays 30, 35 minutes a game for us ever again. I just, I, I'll, be, I'll believe that when it doesn't happen. If the season wraps and Rubio doesn't eclipse that number, would you believe it or would you need to have more data next year too? I mean, this year's a little bit different, but I just mean like, I just mean like, I think there's going to be a game where he plays a ton because they need him to play a ton. And whether that's 30, 35 or like 27, I think it's going to feel like heavy okay. Rubio minutes. That's fair. I think we're in agreement on that then. Yeah. Wouldn't sh- I just wouldn't shock me if it's just like, oh, he played 32 and like, here we are. All right. That's going to be a weekend though. at Bernie situation. So. Two episodes in a row. You know, you made the same joke. It's a good movie. Is that like in your top five of all time? No. Okay. It's a good was, movie, but not in my top five of all time. I'm about to be like Evan. We have to, we have to talk. All right. Uh, Jake probably hasn't seen it because he doesn't like movies. Jake doesn't Thanks watch again. film. Yeah, Jake's a weirdo. Thanks for making Lockdown Cavs your first listen every day. This episode was produced by said weirdo Jake Stevens. Check out The, the Merrier on Spotify. That stuff's really good, though. Now make your second listen game-to-game NBA. Every moment, every top performance, every result, Lockdown Game to Game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis only Lockdown can deliver. Follow Game to Game on Lockdown NBA. That is available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. Back tomorrow, recapping Cavs Nets. I won't be in Brooklyn. He won't be on the show. But when he comes back, we're going to have a little, he's going to have to come ready with a notebook dump. It'll be a good time. Talk to y'all then.